this uh, week's reading of Torah is called Pashat Bishalach. When Pharaoh sent out the people, when Pharaoh sent out the people, and God did not want to lead them in a direct route because he feared that if there would suddenly have be an outbreak of war, they might return back to Egypt. And as hopefully all of you are familiar with this particular section, the most powerful tools and consequently the most powerful corruption corruption is found in this particular section. For it one might assume that in this section in which we find the miracles of the splitting of the Red Sea, that as a sideshow, one might say, we find that Pharaoh suddenly has second thoughts about the fact that he had sent the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, after what he had gone through with the 10th place, normally one would say, hey, I've had enough of these people. Good riddance to bad rubbish. But no, he's beginning to contemplate. He's beginning to contemplate that maybe this wasn't the right decision. Trust me, I haven't got the slightest clue as to why and how he could possibly come to such a conclusion when his entire kingdom had been devastated. Nothing left of it. And it says, that Pharaoh will talk about the Israelis, the Israelites, and he will notice, and how I know he will notice, I don't know. But he will notice that the borders of the desert have literally enclosed the Israelites, and therefore they are wandering without any purpose, without any any direction, without any goals. And so therefore, this would be an opportune time for him to pursue the Israelites. And then, at the very beginning of chapter 14, we suddenly are told in verse 5, and it was told to Pharaoh that the nation, the Israelites, had fled. And this in turn 
strengthen the heart of Pharaoh. And he then began to follow somehow some logic and that he was going to pursue the Israelites to bring them back. For he said, what is this that we have done that we have sent away Israel from serving us? Doesn't make any sense. Serving us. There was no one to serve. The country is devastated. Like, what, what could there possibly be in the minds of, of this great king that he was going to change things at this point? And he began to pursue them. That he meets the Israelites at the Red Sea. And we are told that the Israelites became very fearful. In fact, immediately complained to Moses and pleaded with God, are there no cemeteries in in Egypt that you brought us out to this God-forsaken wilderness to die? In fact, they remind Moses again that this was exactly and precisely what we had spoken to you in Egypt. Stop. Stop trying to provide freedom for us. We don't want to hear from it anymore. Life is, is quite, quite good. For it was good to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Now, we must understand that throughout this period, Throughout this period, these few days, there was a torch at night, miracle, that was leading the Israelites to the Red Sea, and there was a cloud, a cloud that also led them in the direction that obviously God's presence could be could not be mistaken that he was there to defend, protect these Israelites, not the Israelites. They didn't want to know about anything. The reason I, I quote so many distortions and contradictions, certainly the one about that suddenly Pharaoh wakes up and is told to him that the nation ran away. I mean, he sent them away. After having his entire country devastated, I mean, why would he want to maintain these people that have only brought him 
the end of his kingdom. Why would he still want to hold on to these people? And the rule in Kabbalah is always the idea of a paradox. Where you find a story such as this particular one, splitting of the Red Sea, and, and, a, and a conversation going on between Moses and, and the Israelites, and Pharaoh suddenly waking up to the true reality that, hey, he made a, a terrible mistake. Only to make it so clear to us that because this section contains, contains the greatest dissemination revelation of the technology of how we can ultimately and hopefully soon remove all of the chaos, all of the pain and suffering that surrounds us, squeezes us into circumstances that seem so hopeless that we probably could never extricate ourselves. But yet, within this section, is where we have the revelation of the 72 names. Interestingly enough, I noticed the front page of the Time magazine about how the mind can heal the body. And we discussed this many a time. Well, mind over matter. But while the article makes every effort to bring to our attention that the mind should and does have an effect, but for the most part, the hospitals are still filled. And for the most part, people are going through one trauma after another with a an endless collection of future chaos that one has to question does the, does the mind really or should have this kind of dominion over the physical reality when everything everything that we confront in, in this physical reality leads us to the opposite conclusion, that the mind somehow does not have the ability to take control over our lives. And as I have said always in the past, yes, the mind, as science has absolutely confirmed, however contradictory it is, to the manifested state of chaos. But the, the essence of that slogan, mind over matter, has not been successful and only as a direct result of not having the ability to connect the mind 
something so immaterial, non-physical, to the physical reality. Mind over matter. You're talking about something that is outside the realm of the physical reality. And so how do you bring these two, sometimes even opposite forces, together so that the mind could possibly control the physical reality? And that's what it's all about. The chaos manifests itself only on a physical reality level because if it's cancer, if it's bankruptcy, if it's a social upheaval in one's life, again, you're talking about people. You're talking about something of a monetary nature, but again, physical. And this is what we are taught by the Kabbalists. That's the reason this story appears in such contradictory terms, seeming to seemingly making no sense, is only to make us aware and expand our consciousness to an understanding of the story of Torah is nothing more than a concealment to reveal the high-tech, the high-tech that as yet has not been revealed, that may be revealed in the 30th century, but we don't have to wait until that period. It could be done now. And that's why this section is so powerful because it provides all of mankind with the total application to rid, to rid our lives and this world once and for all of all chaos, pain and suffering. And to make things even a little more ridiculous on this physical level of a story and to make it so obvious that one cannot accept Torah in a literal sense for it has no meaning. Probe, examine, investigate and you will find that with all of the contradictions all of these seemingly idiotic expressions, interpretations that have for so long, back 3,400 years, lingered on as the true essential meaning of Torah, when in fact, the Zohar makes it so clear you cannot treat Zohar and Torah on a superficial level. It makes no sense. And as it's further stated, within 
this section. And Moses says, Fear not. Fear not. You shall see the support and assistance from God. For what he will do for you today. And God said to Moses, upon hearing the plea and the wailing of the Israelites, he says, Moses, why are they praying? Moses, why do they cry out to me? What should they do, says God? Tell the Israelites, by the sun. Let them travel, let them move. Let them go forth. Where? In case you forgot the predicament that the Israelites had found themselves. Here were the Egyptians, the full, the full impact of the army of Egypt, whatever was left, facing them from the rear, and the sea facing them in front. And here God says, why are you pleading with me to be, a, to be more closer to the, to the answer that God says to Moses, tell the Jews is by Yisau. Let them jump into the lake. Let them jump into the sea. <coughs> now, my friends, you heard this dialogue between Moses, God, and the Israelites. What do you make of it? I mean, when we pray, to whom should do we pray? To whom should we pray? It's not to God. Religion has been based on that premise for over 3,400 years. But what is even more amazing, beyond, beyond any level of comprehension, God tells them to jump into the sea. How do we explain that? And from this, the Zohar has extracted from these few words, from this one verse, very brief verse, verse 15 in chapter 14, and I urge every single one of you, every single one of you, to examine that verse and see, maybe I somehow translated or interpreted us to some other direction than maybe what the verse actually says. And the Zohar explains it so simply. He says, for all these years, we have been praying to God. He says, do you think for a moment that God 
waits up there until we ask him to help us? You think that he relishes the idea that we are suffering? And this is what he prefers? Why can't God help? In fact, why do I have to ask him to intercede? Why? Shouldn't it be God's intent? Unless we pass it off with God in his mysterious ways loves Auschwitz. I can't subscribe to that. And so what the Zohar says, what Moses and God were referring to is don't hesitate for a moment to believe or even think that when you are in some unfortunate circumstance that I don't want to help you. Of course I want to. But all I ask of you is do what you have to do to get rid of it. For there is free will. You've got to make the effort. What is that effort? Make use of the different names. Create your own miracles because that is where miracles originate from. From we ourselves. And with the tools, God was initially set telling them, telling them, jump in because that sea will split with the right technology. With the right meditation, that sea is going to split for you. You have nothing to fear. Not only that, but water, the power of water, can do you no harm if it is brought back to a state where it had first appeared in day one. Water could not, before it became polluted by the sin of Adam, etc., and our own inequities, our own negativity, our own behavior, behavioral patterns that run contrary to the light of sharing. That we are in a position. We have the power to change. To restore some semblance of sanity within our lives. We have that power. It is a it is a birth given right. However, for reasons that we can explain and have explained since three thousand four hundred years ago, the anti capitalists generation after generation after generation have always always demonstrated their aggressiveness to convince us that Torah should never be interpreted other than on a superficial level. And that's why the Zohar for 2,000 years had been concealed, had been removed from the mainstream of humanity. Because this, my friend, is the goal of the anti-capitalists. 
to bring the fruition of the goals and ambitions of Satan into reality. Yes, you mean there are people who are negative? We've met those kind of people. Negative for no reason other than to be negative. And so these anti-capitalists have appeared every generation, including our present one. However, however, that was prior to an understanding that was prior to the appearance of the Zohar some 80 years ago by the founder of the Kabbalah Center, Rabbi Ashram. Now we have that opportunity to change all that, to understand that the entire Torah, the entire Torah is but one compendium of high tech that can and will eliminate all of the, all of the chaos that unfortunately we still have to undergo. And so we have the creation of the 72 names. We have three verses, strangely enough, and I have to admit that I had gone to graduate rabbinic and postgraduate rabbinic studies, and I was never taught, imagine, that there are three verses in chapter 14, beginning with verse 19, 20, and 21. Three verses that contain 72 letters. And with these three verses, albeit concealed, and not until the Zohar revealed the secrets that were contained and that are contained in these verses, did there ultimately emerge what today the entire world can benefit from this demonstrative, most powerful tool, more powerful than any physical weaponry at our disposal to bring an end to war, bloodshed, chaos, pain and suffering. I can go on and on for at least another couple of weeks, right on this section. There's no end to it because there's so much concealed in this section and therefore so much revealed in it to its highest level. When we spoke of Pharaoh, we had said in previous weeks, we are discussing illness. We are discussing the very nature of a cancer tumor. We are discussing the very nature of a nation that might be considered to be evil. We are considering every other aspect of chaos, how it operates, how 
it presents it, itself to us so that we can be, we can succumb to its logic. So that we can fall prey as we always do in choosing the path that probably will lead us down the road towards the sandstone, rather than choose the path that can bring us happiness, well-being, and joy. This is all contained in this section. And so we have the story of the splitting of the Red Sea accomplished. Accomplished by the Israelites themselves. Now, I just want to conclude with something so, so difficult to comprehend. And that was, after seeing these miracles, you would think that the Israelites should have been quite satisfied. But you know what? After all of these miracles, after all of these miracles, three days later, three days later, not a week or, or a month or a year, but three days later, mind you, you, you have to assume that the recollection of the splitting of this great miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea was something that should have become indelibly etched into the minds of all of the Israelites. Uh, three days later, there was no water to drink. Now, mind you, could God to help them in any way? I mean, they could split the Red Sea, but they couldn't find water. And what happens? And they complain. What are we going to drink, Moses? And what happens? Water. Water emerges from a stone. I'm sorry, not this one. That's another one. Later on, over here, the waters were bitter. Couldn't drink it. And a miracle happened. And a miracle happened. And God sweetened the water. Miracle. But this is what Torah is about create miracles in our lives. God bless you all.